that you can't weaponize anti-Muslim bigotry and anti-Palestinian racism against people in Gaza without it having blowback here in America on people right here at home. And that's what we've been seeing over the past uh, four months. Suleiman, your final comment as we wrap up this segment, uh, if you can uh, talk about your mother. Yeah, sure. Uh, my mom, I mean, she's the sweetest lady. Everybody, everybody knows her in our community. She's a teacher. She was a teacher, a businesswoman, a mother of four. Um, she raised us with good morals. She raised us to be good kids, professionals. Um, again, just the sweetest woman, a helper. She just, again, she expresses her opinion and sometimes she demands justice and you know, I applaud her for that. She's a she's my hero for that. Um, I don't think it's anything for her to be imprisoned about. Well, so, Suleiman uh, Hamed, we want to thank you for being with us. We'll continue to follow your mother's case. And Edward Ahmed Mitchell, civil rights attorney and national deputy director of CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations. That does it for our show. Um, we want to thank all those who participated in producing today's broadcast. Mike Burke, Renee Fels, Nermeen Sheikh, Dina Geister, Messiah Rhodes. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. Go to democracynow.org for all transcripts and podcasts. You're listening to KBOO's All Thrills, No Frills, Volume 3, Special Programming Campaign. Check out all the great special programs we're bringing you in February and March at kboo.fm slash thrills. Help us reach our goal of $22,000 by March 16th. You can go to kboo.fm slash give or text us. Type in KBOO to the number 44321. For the thrill of it all, keep listening. Tune in to KBOO on Saturday, February 17th from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. for a special live remote broadcast of Keep Alive the Dream. Keep Alive the Dream is an annual celebration of the life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This year's event includes guest speakers and musical performances from the MLK All-Star Band, Eli Hardy, and more. Again. That's a special live broadcast of Keep Alive the Dream, Saturday, February 17th, from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., here on your community radio station, KBOO, Portland. You are listening to KBOO Portland. Special thanks to the recent donors to our All Thrills, No Frills campaign. Thank you to Jan W., Grant L., and three anonymous donors. Be like these people and support KBU by going online to kboo.fm slash give. Find all the special programming on KBU this month on our website at kboo.fm slash thrills. Now it's your KBU evening news. And now your daily volunteer produced community newscast, the KBU evening news. Coming up on the KBOO Evening News, major budget cuts loom for Portland Public Schools. AI-generated robocalls are being used by gun opponents. 
And in international news, LGBTQ plus advocates in Japan still hope to legalize same-sex marriage. Good evening. This is the Keibu Evening News for Wednesday, February 14th, 2024. I'm Zoe Karina. And I'm Reed Johnson. Multnomah County's severe weather shelters will be open tonight at 8 p.m. since there's a possibility for snow overnight. The county declared a state of emergency starting tonight at 6 p.m. through at least Thursday morning. County officials say three inches of snow are expected in the metro area, according to the National Weather Service. 480 temporary shelter beds are available across the county tonight. The five sites available tonight include Cook Plaza at 1942 Southeast Stark Street in Gresham, Division Place at 323 Southeast Division Place in Portland, folks can find shelter at Imago Day Church at 1302 Southeast Ankeny Street in Portland, they can also go to Powell Shelter at 7332 Southeast Powell Boulevard in Portland and Market Street Shelter at 120 Southeast Market Street in Portland. Officials say they might be able to increase capacity tonight. The most up-to-date information is available by calling 211. That number again is 211. Portland Public Schools are looking at tens of millions of dollars in budget cuts. It's not yet clear where those cuts will come from. In a letter to the Portland Public Schools community Tuesday night, outgoing Superintendent Guadalupe Guerrero said to expect $30 million in cuts for next year's budget. Because 90% of the budget of the district budget is used to operate schools, he said the impact on students and educators is, quote, unavoidable. District leaders have been warning since last year that significant cuts were inevitable. The district anticipates some schools will see teacher-to-student ratios increase by one or two students on average. Interim Superintendent Sandy Husk will be responsible for overseeing the budget process this spring. Guerrero is stepping down this week. The PPS Community Budget Review Committee is scheduled to meet virtually tomorrow. The 2024-2025 budget update is on its agenda. In, inter- in excuse me, in national news, the foreign aid package gets through the Senate. The U.S. House impeaches our Homeland Security Secretary, and New Yorkers look to replace disgraced U.S. Representative George Santos. With those stories and more, it's Edwin J. Vieira with 2024 Talks. Welcome to 2024 Talks, where we're following our democracy in historic times. This bill completely fails to deliver what most of our conference supported in tying the disbursement of Ukraine aid to real reductions of illegal immigration at the southern border. It was the only way we knew to make Biden do his job. Florida's Rick Scott is one of many Republican senators voicing opposition to the $100 billion foreign aid package that passed the upper house. The 70-29 final total included a majority of Democrats voting for assistance to Ukraine, Israel, and civilians in those wars, while Republicans were split. Despite demands from conservatives and opposition from former President Donald Trump, the package did not include border security provisions. Now the bill heads to the House, though it's uncertain whether it will even get a vote. President Joe Biden is urging Speaker Mike Johnson to bring it to the floor immediately, accusing some Republicans, including Trump, of helping Russian President Vladimir Putin. For Republicans in Congress who think they can oppose funding for Ukraine and not be held accountable, history is watching. Failure to support Ukraine at this critical moment will never be forgotten. 
By a very close, nearly perfect party-line vote, the House impeached Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas. He's the first cabinet secretary to face that in a century and a half. While Republicans are seeing this as a victory, it's unlikely to advance in the democratically controlled Senate. Labor leaders and members of Congress came together to rally for fair pay nationally and for Washington to fully fund the government. Under the structure of the current continuing resolution, agencies' budgets won't go past early March. Florida Democrat Maxwell Frost says this is a bad time for a shutdown. We can't shut down any part of it at this point. Not with the housing crisis we have right now. Not with our veterans being left out right now. Not with retirees needing what they need right now. Massachusetts voters are being encouraged to complete mail-in ballot applications ahead of March's primary. The state has no excuse early voting in mail-in ballots, meaning voters don't need to give a reason for voting in those ways. Julia Kupferman with Massachusetts Voter Table says more than half a million have applied to get mail-in ballots for the next three elections. That way they don't have to coordinate for another mail ballot. They can just have any and all sent to them and do it from the comfort of their home. A fierce snowstorm depressed turnout in the special New York election to replace expelled Representative George Santos. Democrat Thomas Suozzi represented the district before running for governor two years ago. He faces Republican Mousy Pillup, a freshman Nassau County legislator. Surveys show a close race with Suozzi barely ahead. That and late closing polls could mean a long night. Recent polls show voters aren't so eager to have incumbent elected officials stay in office. More than 60% of voters said President Biden doesn't deserve re-election, but more than two-thirds want new faces in Congress. While Biden's polls could improve, it's less likely for those in Congress. I'm Edwin J. Vieira for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. Oregon State Senator Lou Frederick is making waves during the current legislative session with a bill to ban book bannings. If passed, Senate Bill 1583 would prohibit school districts, school boards, and school employees from banning books on the basis of race, gender identities, disabilities, religious beliefs, or membership in any group protected by the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Frederick told the Oregon Capitol Chronicle this week, quote, It's not telling people they need to read certain things. There's none of that. He continued, quote, I disagree with a number of books, even some I disagree with vehemently. But I have read them so I can understand what's being said and why it's being said and how it fits into a worldview, end quote. Frederick says the bill is designed to preserve literature in school libraries on topics protected by U.S. civil rights law. Conservatives across Oregon have reacted in outrage, triggering more written testimony than Governor Tina Kochek's half-billion-dollar housing proposal. The Chronicle reports that last week an anonymous Twitter account released a campaign ad against the measure that does not identify who paid for it. The tweet carrying the ad has been viewed more than 13,000 times and has won the support of critics across the United States. The ACLU and the Oregon Education Association have weighed in with support for the bill. The book ban banning bill is set to be voted on as early as Thursday. Quebec loses an in indigenous child welfare case in Canada's Supreme Court. With that story and more, it's Jill Freitas with National Native News. This is National Native News. I'm Jill Freitas filling in for Antonia Gonzalez. The Supreme Court of Canada has upheld the federal government's Indigenous Child Welfare Act. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, the challenge came from the province of Quebec, which argued that the act overstepped provincial jurisdiction. 
Quebec won the case in 2022 before the Court of Appeal, but Canada's highest court, in a unanimous decision, upheld Ottawa's child welfare law, thereby affirming that First Nations, Métis and Inuit have the sole authority over the protection of their children. Indigenous leaders cheered the decision. One of them was Assembly of First Nations Regional Chief from Quebec Labrador, Ghislaine Picard. Our peoples have compromised enough. Uh, I think it's time now for other governments to, to do the same. Uh, I think that's the only way that uh, trust and good faith will prevail. The ruling also affirmed that Indigenous people have an inherent right to self-government, and that includes control over child and family services. The High Court said there is nothing in the division of powers between the federal government and the provinces that prevents Parliament from affirming that Indigenous peoples have the inherent right of self-government. Indigenous Services Minister Patty Haidu called the decision truly historic. Separating parents and their children from culture, from language, from family, indeed from love and from care, is a tool that colonizers have used to diminish and oppress people all around the world. Haidu also said the decision paves the way for more indigenous autonomy in areas such as health care and water quality on reserves. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. The National Congress of American Indians, or NCAI, is holding its winter session in Washington, D.C. this week. President Mark McCarrow kicked it off on Monday with the annual State of Indian Nations Address. Matt Laszlo has the story from Washington. The work always continues. President McCarrow of California's Pechanga Band of Indians told attendees here in Washington. But, he reports, the State of Indian Nations is strong and on the rise. I believe this is a moment for hope in Indian country. We continue to make strides in representation in everything from elected office to outer space to what I to what I believe will be a historic night at the Academy Awards next month. McCarrow announced three calls to action in his address. First on his list is the announcement that NCAI plans to host a national public safety summit. We can engage in deep discussions about jurisdictional and law enforcement needs on all our tribal lands and address police brutality in our urban tribal communities. McCarrow says that Public Safety Summit will also focus on combating the opioid epidemic. Second on his list was the announcement that NCAI is forming a task force focused on the integrity of tribal membership and unity after two constitutional amendments to exclude state-recognized tribes from voting membership were defeated at last year's annual conference. I want us to work through this in a respectful way. This is essential for uniting our voices and forging a legacy of unity and strength. And to our Alaska relatives... I recognize our unity as Indigenous people. Our partnership moving forward is critically important. Lastly, McCarlow announced NCAI will be convening a national vote roundtable ahead of November's presidential election. Our collective and continued political engagement is crucial. Every vote we cast has the power to shape the future. Under the Biden administration, there are more Native Americans in the highest levels of government than ever before, which McCarrow says is being felt in Indian country. This representation fosters a deeper understanding of our needs. Throughout the rest of the week, tribal leaders and Alaska Natives will receive training sessions before NCAI members will hit Capitol Hill offices Thursday to lobby members of Congress and their staffs directly on behalf of Indian Country. For National Native News, I'm Matt Laszlo in Washington. And I'm Jill Freitas. Volunteers want to help Helena better track its houseless population. Mark Moran reports from Montana. 
Helena is stepping up efforts to track its homeless population. The number of people living without shelter has risen sharply since the city started counting in 2018. When Helena began tracking its homeless population five years ago, the point-in-time survey was new. Now, Helena United Way's Jeff Busher says volunteers are able to more accurately track people who don't have permanent shelter, thanks in large part to more community involvement. At least here in Helena, folks' awareness has been raised considerably about our unsheltered population. Busher says the number of volunteers helping count unsheltered people has nearly doubled. While final numbers for 2024 won't be available until May, volunteers found 44 people living in vehicles in this year's survey, an increase over recent years. The 2023 survey found 164 homeless people living in Helena. While the weather was slightly warmer this year than in previous surveys, Busher says Montana's climate has historically played a critical role in shaping the homeless count. Folks are very engaged and concerned about the needs of our unsheltered population because we do live in a sometimes very hostile climate. When it gets deathly cold, there's a lot of folks that get very concerned about whether folks are outside. The homeless counts help determine how much federal money Helena and other Montana cities will get to address the unsheltered problem. This is Mark Moran for Big Sky Connection. You are listening to the Cabo Evening News. Stay tuned after this newscast for an in-depth interview with Rashida Quinn, the executive producer and host of the Black Care Matters podcast. It's a show that shares the experiences of black nurses in Oregon, and it's premiering tonight. Then, I should say, throughout the day. Then at 545, it's news from the boo. Your look at the news inside Cabo. At 6, it's Hard Knock Radio. Then at 7, Eco Justice Radio. A new winter storm is predicted to arrive tonight with the Cascades and Gorge under a winter storm warning. The West Hills might also see significant snow. Local low metro locations should stay above freezing and could see rain or a snow rain mix tonight and tomorrow. Today in history, in 1859, Oregon was admitted as the 33rd U.S. state. Our quote of the day is from Jack Benny, American actor and comedian, born this day in 1894. Benny said, quote, age is something that doesn't matter unless you are a cheese. Age is strictly a case of mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. Activists were handing out Valentine's Day candy in Tokyo to commemorate the fifth anniversary of the fight to legalize same-sex marriage in Japan. Same-sex marriage is not allowed under Japanese law. Recent surveys show a majority of Japanese residents support lifting marriage restrictions, but the governing party still opposes making things easier for same-sex couples. Marriage equality is currently recognized in 36 countries, including Taiwan, Thailand, and Nepal. Yesterday marked the fifth anniversary of the first Japanese lawsuits petitioning for LGBTQ plus marriage rights. More than a dozen couples have filed lawsuits in six separate cases across Japan. Four of the five rulings have so far have said not granting that right is unconstitutional. The government did enact an LGBTQ plus awareness promotion law in June. 
The Supreme Court also ruled that a law requiring mandatory sterilization for transgender people is unconstitutional. Hiromi Hatagai identifies as lesbian is, and is part of the case before the Tokyo District Court. She said, quote, Despite many years I have spent with my partner, we are considered strangers, not family, in the eyes of the law. We only want to marry and be legally recognized, just like any other couple, end quote. In U.S. news, federal lawmakers who oppose tighter gun regulations began getting phone calls seemingly voiced by a victim in the 2018 Parkland school shooting. Joaquin Oliver died in the 2018 massacre. Now his family and the families of other victims are using artificial intelligence to create messages in their loved ones' voices. They are robocalling senators and House members who support the National Rifle Association and oppose tightening gun laws. The protest is being run through the Shotline website. The campaign launched on Valentine's Day, which is the sixth anniversary of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas high school shooting. That's when Oliver, 13 other students, and three staff members were killed by a student wielding an AR-15. Oliver's parents want the sale of guns like the AR-15 banned. To make the recordings, the Olivers and other families gave an AI company audio of their loved ones, and it recreated their voices, changing tone and pattern based on their suggestions. Joaquin's AI voice identifies him and then says, quote, Many students and teachers were murdered on Valentine's Day by a person using an AR-15, but you don't care. You never did. It's been six years and you've done nothing, end quote. The NRA did not respond to phone calls and emails seeking comment. Critics accuse the Olivers of politicizing his death to hinder their rights as law-abiding gun owners. While other families have held rallies, posted on social media, and lobbied, the Olivers challenge allies to be brazen. They call themselves the rebel side of the gun violence prevention movement. Manuel Oliver, Joaquin's dad, said, quote, We don't have nothing to lose here. We already lost everything. For me, protesting is normal. The only thing that is not normal is that we are allowing our society to let people die, end quote. Delivery delays have led to the call for more rural U.S. Postal Service staffing. Farah Siddiqui has more on the story. Across the country, and especially in rural parts of Missouri, U.S. Postal Service staffing shortages are being blamed by some for delays in mail delivery. Some postal carriers say the lack of staffing hampers the ability to split overloaded routes and is at the heart of the issue affecting prompt mail delivery. Rural mail carrier Bryce Shanklin says he understands that initially the workload can be daunting, even seven days a week and with low starting pay. But he doesn't understand why more people don't stay on and commit to a longer term postal service career where the benefits are good. Perks are wonderful. I'd never have to worry about being laid off. The other benefit is all the federal holidays, ones like President's Day. Most people don't get that off. And then your health benefits. I haven't seen better health insurance than what I have with the federal government. In 2020, the Postmaster General put a plan into effect known as Delivering for America to minimize employee turnover by converting more staff to career status. Since the plan was implemented, the number of conversions has grown to 125,000. But the American Postal Workers Union says the Postal Service is still shorthanded. Shanklin adds rural routes that include deliveries for online retailers can be very time-consuming. Amazon truck, DHL, UPS, FedEx, they're all running in the city. If you get out rural, that falls in the post office. Even if you have postal vehicles, you're making two trips, maybe three sometimes, more of course at Christmas, just to get those packages to get out. But Shanklin says once the carrier has the routine down, the work is satisfying. I started in 05 during Christmas. I was like, there 
there is no way I can do this job. And then a couple of years later, I could do a dozen or so routes like the back of my hand. Now, of course, with every job, it's not always for everybody, but you just put a little effort into it. It's, it's really easy. It really is pretty easy. Shanklin's rural customers even have an online appreciation committee to thank him for his efforts and friendly demeanor on the route. He says if more people appreciated their carriers, it couldn't help but affect their job satisfaction as well. For Missouri News Service, I'm Farah Siddiqui. Find our trust indicators at publicnewsservice.org. A nonprofit wants to expand community parks and gardens in Los Angeles. Suzanne Potter tells us more. One million dollars in grants are up for grabs in Los Angeles for local groups to build or expand community parks, gardens, and green spaces. The Bezos Earth Fund awarded the grant to the nonprofit Green Latinos through its Greening America's Cities initiative. Green Latinos will now distribute the funds to local community groups who can apply starting February 27th. Jonathan Fajardo with Green Latinos says the idea is to fight environmental inequalities that perpetuate systemic health and economic injustice. We're mainly looking towards nonprofits, especially grassroots and frontline organizations, community-based smaller organizations that are addressing at a hyper-local level urban greening and food access. A July 2022 study from USC found almost a quarter of households in L.A. were food insecure over the prior year, with low-income households headed by young Latina adults hit the hardest. A pilot program in L.A. last year helped the Mujeres de la Tierra, which means women of the earth, build a splash pad, exercise area, and community garden at Juntos Park in the Glassell Park area of L.A. Fajardo says they're focused on funding projects that spring from local community groups rather than large public agencies. We're looking especially to uplift projects that are creating access to healthy organic foods like urban gardens and community farms, true communal spaces. The Sustainable Cities Urban Greening Initiative is offering a similar program in Albuquerque and Chicago for a total of $2.7 million in grants. Groups can apply through the Just Fund online grants portal. Green Latinos also offers training to help groups write their proposals. For California News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter. A new U.S. Department of Agriculture census shows that factory farms continue to grow, while smaller farms are disappearing. The number of cattle farms with more than 5,000 cows has grown by a third in the last 10 years. The number of chicken farms with over half a million birds each has grown 17% in the same decade. Meanwhile, the number of small dairy farms in the U.S. decreased by one-third in the last 20 years. Food and Water Watch Research Director Amanda Starbuck said, quote, As industrial confinements drive family-scale farmers off their land, we are left with skyrocketing numbers of animals on factory farms producing enormous amounts of waste, end quote. The U.S. factory farms produce 940 billion pounds of manure annually. That's twice as much as the sewage produced by the entire U.S. population. Environmental Working Group Midwest Director Anne Schechinger noted, quote, Cows release methane to the atmosphere through their burps, and cattle and hog manure releases methane and nitrous oxide, two greenhouse gases more powerful than carbon dioxide, end quote. Nearly 15% of Americans don't believe climate change is real, according to a new study from the University of Michigan. That's around 46 million people. Climate denialism is highest in the central and southern U.S., with Republican voters less likely to believe in environmental science. 
acceptance and belief in global warming is most prevalent along the West and East Coasts, correlating with those regions' high rates of Democratic voters. Joshua Newell, co-author of the study, said, quote, Public figures such as Trump are highly influential when they use these events to trigger disbelief in climate change among social media users, end quote. Michael Mann, climatologist and geophysicist at Pennsylvania State University, said, quote, There is a small but very vocal and active minority of the public that still denies the overwhelming evidence of human-caused warming, end quote. What can you do when solar panels won't fit? Dr. Anthony Lizowitz gives us the answer with Climate Connections. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. A few years ago, Indiana resident John Smiley wanted to put solar panels on his roof. There was just one problem. It's not really a good roof for solar. But Smiley was not to be deterred. He realized that solar panels might not work for his house, but they might work for a nearby youth-focused nonprofit with a flat, sunny roof. So he donated the funds and helped find a vendor to install solar panels, which now help the nonprofit save money on their energy bills. Where that goes is right back into their mission. You know, I got to invest in not only clean power, but also in the Youth Service Bureau's mission, which is serving the youth of the county. Smiley has since helped another nonprofit go solar, and he's working with a third. He's helping cover the upfront costs and advising them on how to take advantage of clean energy tax credits from the Federal Inflation Reduction Act. He says this approach has helped him feel that he's making a difference on climate change. It just feels good to be useful and uh, to do something about it and to also just invest in my community at the same time. And Smiley welcomes the many people across the country who have contacted him for advice on how they can bring solar power to nonprofits in their own communities. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To learn more about climate change, visit climateconnections.org. It's Wednesday, and that means a visit from KBU News poet Dan Raphael, who insists he's a poet, not a journalist. Last week's cover of Willamette Week said cashing in 10 cans could buy you fentanyl, implying it's better to have bottles and cans littered all over the state than some druggies hurting downtown property values. That's journalism with ulterior motives. After the special prosecutor, not a doctor, mentioned Biden's memory problems, the news sites ran the story for days, while his just four years younger, factually deranged opponent wants to use Putin as an attack dog against our NATO allies, and almost no one calls him out on that. Did Trump forget who America's longtime enemy is, or is that the only fact that matters is winning? Likewise, the Republicans aren't concerned that blocking funds for Ukraine and Taiwan helps Russia and China, only that any policy successes make Biden look good, and that's bad. For Donnie and his minions, it's victory at any cost, including the environment, American democracy, or preventing World War III. For Poetic Justice, this is Dan Raphael. You're listening to the KBU Evening News for Wednesday, February 14th, 2024. Happy Valentine's Day. This is a volunteer-produced newscast, and we encourage your participation. Call or text us with your breaking news, stories, and tips at 971-245-2158. Our production team for tonight's newscast includes Dan Raphael, Jezaniah Hawthorne, and Lisa Loving. 
The producer is Josh Salem, and our engineer is Althea Billings. Special thanks to Jill Freitas, Edwin J. Vieira, Suzanne Potter, Farias Farah Siddiqui, Mark Moran, and Do Dr. Anthony Lizowitz. The director of the Evening News is Althea Billings. A podcast of this newscast is available on our website at kboo.fm slash evening news. You are listening to KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM, K282BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR Hood River on 90.9 FM. I'm Zoe Karina. And I'm Reed Johnson. All of our Kibu programs, including the evening news, are supported by our members. If you would like to become a member and support our programming, you can go to kboo.fm slash give or text KBOO to 44321. Stay tuned.